I really must apologize to you, Kathleen, uh, and, and others associated with the Temenos Academy for being late, for being, uh, oh, ten days late, I think. And, and there, there were reasons for this, but, but it is not a good thing to be late. And I hope you will forgive me. And, and it, must have, <clears throat> it must have meant, uh, <clears throat> at least, if not disappointment, at least great inconvenience to, to many of you. And I apologize to you for that, sincerely. And about materialism, Kathleen, I think you do exaggerate the cynicism of this land because without the help of perfectly angelic people, I wouldn't have been able to find my way here from Camden down. <laughs> absolutely wonderful specimens of, of angelic humanity. God bless them. And uh, 
Of course, I, I would like to talk about Ramakrishna first. But even before I talk about Ramakrishna, I'd like to remember my own teacher, Ramana Maharishi, first. It's very important to do that uh, in India if you are going to talk about spiritual subjects. And, and, and the only way of even beginning to do that with honesty is to first remember your teacher and offer thanks to him. So I offer thanks to, to Sri Ramana Maharishi, about whom I'll be talking again in a few days. Uh, and may he, uh, may, may the spirit of my teacher bless, uh, bless the wonderful work that you have started, Kathleen. And I do, of course, remember all those conversations. I've always been skeptical about uh, India's current ability to give much spirituality to the world. But I, I, I think we've got it somewhere there, much neglected. It needs to be, uh, to be discovered by us. And thank you for reminding us of it. And, and we, we need to, <clears throat> to, uh, to begin at home first. Terrible things have been happening in India. And we need really to begin to, to discover the relevance of our spirituality to our own lives in India. And um, we haven't been doing very well uh, in, in that area for, for a while. But I, I'm not a defeatist. I, I think our, our country will, will be <clears throat> right in the heart of, of the struggle for a recovery of, of faith and self-confidence in the next century. And, and I'm, I'm convinced that so will Britain, because the relationship between our country is surely... <clears throat> Is, is surely one that's meant to endure for the good of not only our two countries but but of humanity. Otherwise, you <clears throat> you can't explain the fact that so many of us in India uh, speak your language uh, and and continue to speak your language long after we uh, <clears throat> we compel you, perhaps nonviolently, to to leave. <laughs> and and I, I think so. So the cricket and <clears throat> oh, 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 democracy and. Uh, and, and, and cricket in the English language are three gifts, I think, which, uh, which we will never be able to, to forget. And democracy is not, uh, is, is, is not uh, in, in the healthiest possible condition. Cricket sometimes is. I don't know about the English language. But there it is, a link between us and you. And, and um, the, the, the teacher of India that I'm going to talk about today, Vivekananda, you might say was the first Temenos lecturer, Kathleen. Uh, Temenos understood not merely as an institution here, but he spoke uh, for the first time in the English language to the modern world about Indian spirituality a hundred years ago. This year, 1983, a hundred years ago was also the 400th anniversary of that alleged discovery of America by Columbus. And uh, there was a big celebration uh, uh, of the event in, in uh, Chicago, and part of the celebration was a World Parliament of Religions in 1893. And Vivekananda was a young monk of 30, uh, 31 years of age. He was 31 years of age, and he, um, he spoke to, to America in the English language directly. And was, uh, <clears throat> he set such absolutely high standards that I'm not even going to try and, 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 and aspire to those standards. But you must read those speeches of Vivekananda. He is the first uh, uh, teacher uh, uh, of, of the modern world, one of the first, really, from India, uh, if not absolutely the first, to talk directly to the West. In the, there have been, there were others before him, but in, in a comprehensive and Catholic way about the totality of Indian spirituality. He's not merely a reformer. 
He's not, uh, he doesn't represent a sect of, of Indian spirituality. Uh, Raja Ramohan Roy, during the middle of the century, did a, a wonderful sect of reform. And he spoke, he come, he, he's buried in this country, in Bristol, I think, Raja Ramohan Roy, a very great uh, teacher of, uh, of India, who, who too spoke directly to, to, to the modern world in the English language. But he represented a, a, a very powerful current of reform within uh, Indian spirituality, whereas Vivekananda, a child of this movement of reform, talks more comprehensively and with greater Catholicity, I think, of Indian spirituality as a whole, and it is of this that he speaks to the modern world then, to, to the West, uh, <clears throat> and uh, I, I will try and, and tell you something about what he said first, straight away. We have a little water to drink. This discovery of uh, America by Columbus, as you as you know, uh, but perhaps this is true, but historians keep changing their mind like scientists do all the time. But it is said that Columbus really wanted to, to go to India, and, and he, he landed in America. And, uh, and, and, and because he, he wanted to land in India, the, the native people of America were called Indians. And we, of course, think that they're the wrong Indians, and we are the right Indians. <laughs> but by my elder brother, was put right on this by a Native American leader uh, who was the chief of the Stony Indians. My brother met him, and, and the chief of the Stony Indians said to my brother, we are the Stony Indians, you are the phony Indians. <laughs> so I, I think that's, it's very important to remember this. I think that, that that accident of history is probably very important, I think. But anyway, whether or not <clears throat> Columbus discovered uh, India, I think America did discover something of India when Vivekananda arrived in Chicago in, in 1890. Three. And he's a monk, Vivekananda. He, he is a celibate monk. And uh, he addressed uh, the people of America. Uh, uh, Stephen, I think I'm supposed to speak into the mic, am I not, in order to be recorded? It's a very good microphone, so it will pick you up. Will it? Yes. Thank you. So, so uh, he... Uh, he was dressed rather grandly in, in a silk, a red silk uh, robe and a, a saffron uh, turban. And he was, uh, the newspapers reported that he was a stunning figure. And he began his short address uh, with the words, Sisters and Brothers of America. And applause followed for several minutes, it seems. I think Americans would probably never directly address the sisters and brothers. They've been much hated, I think, all these centuries. But I think it was wonderful for them to be called sisters and brothers by, by Vivekananda. By a monk, of course, for whom? It was very important to see everybody as sister and brother, because everybody really was sister and brother to, to him. And only a monk could say this. So let us meditate on this very fact that this tremendous invocation of fraternity was possible really only to a monk. I'm not suggesting, therefore, that we should all become monks and nuns, but let us not discourage those who, whose destiny it might be to become monks and nuns. So the spirit of renunciation is what makes it possible to invoke the, the spirit of fraternity in the modern world. Let, let's remember this. This is a place devoted to, to the rediscovery of, of traditional wisdom. So I, I do think that the relevance of, of renunciation, it, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a <coughs> pejorative word now in the modern world. It's very important to meditate on this, that had, had Vivekananda not been a, 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 an ordained monk, 
under a vow of secrecy, it would not have been possible for him to address America in that fashion. I don't think anybody else has been able to, to, to so address people with, with a like conviction. Perhaps Gandhi, I can think of Gandhi. Those who, uh, I see some Indian friends here, but they, they may not have been around when Gandhi used to speak. Gandhi always addressed his audiences in, in India as brothers and sisters. And he really meant this too because he was under a vow of celibacy. Somebody asked me, oh, I'm very, very glad to meet the, the grandson of, of Gandhi. Well, well I'm, I have to make one thing clear, that I really think of myself as, as, as a, a relative of Mr. Gandhi, as, as a grandson of Mr. Gandhi, but the, the, the man who, who was under a vow of celibacy had, had, had no children, really, after, after, that, after he took that vow, or rather everybody was his father and sister. So, so that's very important that you have Vivekananda addressing people in... In, in America as brothers and sisters, and Gandhi addressing every Indian as brothers and sisters. rather remarkable, I think. I don't think others have been able to do this. When you say, ladies and gentlemen, it's not quite the same thing, I feel. Ladies and gentlemen, that leaves out young people, I think, doesn't it? Or am I getting my English wrong? Can, can young people still be referred to as ladies and gentlemen? Pro probably not. So it does leave them out, I think. But brothers and sisters, it, it, I think it includes your own brothers and sisters, of course. In a special way, but extends the idea of, brother, of siblinghood and embraces the whole world. So surely there, tradition has, uh, has got it right, and modernity has not yet been able to address humanity in that wonderful way of kinship. But I'm not trying to convert anybody to, to celibacy. Um, now, <clears throat> so Vivekananda arrives in, in, uh, in Chicago, 1893, but I must now talk about his guru. I'll come back to 1893 and, um, and then, then go backwards and forwards and give you some sense, I hope, of the great work of Vivekananda, which should really inspire the kind of work that Kathleen has undertaken. He really is, is one of your uh, uh, ancestors in this work, Kathleen, in the modern period who began something. I'm not now thinking of the Ramakrishna mission, the order, uh, uh, but I'm thinking of the wider work of rediscovery for the modern world of uh, spiritual traditions that he, um, he, I think, probably began in a big way for the first time uh, around the turn of the century, and we are at the same point, seven more years. So there is a, a wonderful uh, similarity between the World Parliament of Religions happening and Kathleen's work starting here. And may I wish your work, uh, Kathleen, the, uh, the, the blessings of, uh, of the masters and the sages of modern India. But back to Ramakrishna Paramahamsa, who was born in 1836. I, I, I know the English are very fond of, uh, of dates. I, I'm very bad at dates, but I, I'll try and supply some dates to you. I think some sense of history is important here. 1836 is when Ramakrishna is born. 1886, the age of 50, he dies. 50 was a fairly advanced age in the 19th century in India because you, you, could, you could be, uh, oh, well, you, you could die very, at a very young age. Ramakrishna lived to 50, and that was the God. And, Ram, and Vivekananda is born in 1862. Or maybe 1863. I've seen both dates mentioned, both years mentioned. 62 or 63. And he dies, a fairly young uh, man, in 1902 just when this century starts. So you have, uh, after Ramakrishna dies in, in 1886, Vivekananda, Ramakrishna, who is Ramakrishna? Yes, who is Ramakrishna? 
I, I should have been here uh, uh, last week to tell you about Ramakrishna in a whole lecture, alas, that can't be given today. But I must tell you that there have been some sages. The word sage is, I don't think, understood in quite the same sense, Kathy, in, 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 in the rest of the world, in, in, in which we, the sense in which we hear that word in India, sage, is a very special sense. It's not somebody who, who, who merely, who has a, uh, or, uh, who has an air of uh, spirituality about them. When, when we call somebody a sage in our Indian English, uh, we, we mean somebody of realization, not merely of learning. Such a person need not be a learned person, need not be a lecturer at all. He need not be a, a, a fellow of any academic athlete at all. He or she will have to be a person of, of realization. Now, this is a word probably which, again, is is not native to your ears in the way in which it has become to our ears. Realization is something that India cares for more than, than she cares for revolution. I hope this shocks some of you. I, I think India is a land of realization, not of revolution, in quite the same way. The rest of the world is we're talking about revolution, but some of our, uh, our thinkers and sages and masters have reminded us that without making the truth real in our own lives, in some very powerful way of transformation in our own consciousness, there can be no hope for any kind of revolution of, of any kind at all. So such sages uh, 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 arrive. Apparently every century has such sages, but we remember, uh, like we, we can see our own star, the sun, more clearly. We see the others more distantly uh, in the sky. Uh, oh. Yes, that reminds me of Ramakrishna's story. That would be the best way of introducing Ramakrishna. Ramakrishna, Paramahamsa, was a teacher who taught in parables, in remarkable stories. He taught the deepest truth. He was not a, he might have been literate in some very modest sense, but he wrote no books. I don't think he read many books, but he, he, uh, he, he understood everything. And he told the following story. He was talking about vanity, and he told the following story. He said there was a firefly. Is that, you know what a firefly is? Firefly. There's these tiny uh, creatures that, that have their own light, but they're rather tiny. And Ramakrishna said that there was a firefly in the night, and, and the firefly thought that, that, that it was the, the banisher of, of darkness. It was the light of the world. He was very vain about it, and, and, and went, went around thinking this thought. And then... And then the distant stars appeared. Stars have their own lights too. And, and, the, and the firefly was embarrassed and, and went away. And then the stars. Now these might be called some of the traditions of the world, Kathleen. They have their own pride too. They were there in the sky, rather distant from us. And they thought they were the vanishers of, uh, of darkness and the light of the world. And they were full of pride. These stars, these clusters, different parts of the sky, like the different traditions of the world, which are represented, alas, often not by humility, but by, by arrogance. So they were there, full of pride. And they said, we are the light of the world. This is to Ramakrishna. No, I'm not the one who's telling this story. Remember, Ramakrishna says, these stars, these clusters of stars, brighter than the firefly, they, they, they thought they were, they were the light of the world. And they reigned for a while. They were dominance. And then... And then the moon appeared in the night sky. Now the moon doesn't have its own light, you remember. The moon's light is borrowed from the sun. The moon is, is, a, is a fabulous object, isn't it? It's a 
humanist subject, not like modern science, which still is, has borrowed its life from somewhere else. It's very close to us. And, and, and it's, it's full of vanity. It's a modern science, represented by the moon. Uh, thought, I am the light of the world, the banisher of the darkness. Never mind if I don't have my own light, but I'm so bright and beautiful, and I, I fit so well in the night sky, and, and, and the stars are too far away, and the fireflies are too, too, too small and humble, and, and so the moon's full of arrogance, and, and so arrogant that it's able to ignore those spots on, on, on its surface also. And, and, and you can see them, but still, you say, oh, the moon is the moon, is very bright. It's not the end of the story. Then the sun appears, which has its own light and is close to us. That's what a sage is. A sage is like the firefly, but rather more adequate in, 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 uh, in capability and, uh, and warmth. And it's, it is, of course, quite like the sun, the, the, the other stars, but it's close to us. We feel the warmth of a sage. We don't merely... Uh, 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 Acknowledge its existence, the sage's existence as we do of a distant star. We feel his warmth. So when the sun appears, the moon is embarrassed and goes away. And this is why when the sages of, uh, of the world arrive, uh, all kinds of arrogance of modernity and tradition and as the ego. I think in the story, the firefly probably represents the individual ego. Each one of us, especially in our democratic age, thinks of the let that she or he is the light of the world. And, and, and gets, gets lost, as I, as I often do, and I'm not able to find my way at all. Then the stars do help me, tradition, but they're sometimes cold and too arrogant. Of course, the moon, yes, but it's the sage, it's the sun, the, 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 the proximity of, of this uh, self-luminous uh, uh, source of, of light, the sage, is very important, I think. And there is surely a spiritual solar system which is built around these sages. I don't know what its shape would be. I leave that to, to the architect Keith and the geometer Keith Critchler to determine for us. But such sages do exist. They are the hope of India. And Ramakrishna Paramahamsa was one such sage. And he, um, he arrives at a time in Calcutta. And I notice there are people who probably know Calcutta well here. I don't know Sima and, and LK if you know Calcutta well. I don't know Calcutta well, so I visited it. But Cal the Calcutta of the 1850s and 60s was a place, well, it was also the capital of British India, you will recall. Uh, it, it, was, it was a place of, of great um, skepticism regarding traditional Indian spirituality. The young people of Calcutta, the young men in, in Calcutta's colleges and university, were turning away from Hinduism. And, he, and from Islam and, and from other traditions uh, of the world represented in India. And there were reformers who were suggesting alternatives to tradition. I mentioned Raja Ramu and Roy, there were others. And there was science which was converting everybody away from all traditions and even from all reform, really, in a sense. This was the scene when the average uh, intellectual young person in Calcutta affected uh, unbelief and irreverence. I say affected because it really was, was not well grounded in, in, in experience or in realization. It was the result of the dominance of modernity at the time. And, and we are probably in a similar situation uh, today. But, but I think if we are... Kathleen, and this is a thought for you, I think the sages must have made some difference 
So our condition is probably less hopeless than it probably was in the 19th century when there really haven't been such sages. Ramakrishna arrives and he, he meets all kinds of arguments. Vivekananda confronts Vivekananda is a member of a reform movement, Vivekananda must say, and he's, he's very a, a, a brilliant young man. He's 18 and he is the hope of the, the, the reform movement. He's the hope of modernity in India. And he is, he's, oh, he represents free thinking uh, youth. And, and its potential for uh, for rejecting things without without any fear. He represents the, the free spirit of, of the modern world. Yes, indeed. Now he uh, he's come to believe that there is no God. He's come to believe that there there, are, there is no such thing as transcendence. There is no such thing as realization. There are no gods and goddesses. He he's rejected traditional Hinduism. He, he is close to the abstract monotheism of, of the Brahma Samaj, of Islam, and possibly of Christianity, although Christianity is a complex case. I'll update it, if possible, uh, 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 a little later. But he is rejecting even that. He says, but well, where is the proof? Has anybody seen God? He asks his professors in, in college, in Calcutta University, and they, 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 they don't answer this question. So he, it is a fact, I forget the name of the English professor, who asks Vivekananda to visit this strange man, Ramakrishna. Uh, we don't know why the English professor himself did not undertake such a visit. That might have changed the course of, uh, of our history. But anyway, he did the next best thing, perhaps. He asked this young bright Cupidus to visit this, this uh, very odd uh, saint who uh, lived uh, like a madman in Dakshineshwar, not very far from Calcutta, and was engaged in, in curious spiritual practices which involved becoming a Muslim, a Christian, uh, and, and, and something else, and something else, uh, uh, continuously, uh, a, a passionate, insatiable desire to experience the truth of all traditions. He had a hunger, an insatiable hunger, uh, which is <clears throat> far uh, far greater than, than what greed uh, of the materialist kind can ever aspire to. Uh, we are told by, by those who write about Ramakrishna that he, he, he would hunger for, uh, for spiritual truth. So Vivekananda goes to Ramakrishna and says, Sir, have you seen God? And Ramakrishna said, Yes. <laughs> so that is the beginning of, of, of a new consciousness. And he doesn't say this in some kind of philosophical, hypothetical, abstract, argumentative way. And he says, he goes, And I see him more clearly than I see you. So we're talking about the young man whose life was changed when he heard this reply. No professor, no book had said this. And he became the Vekananda. He sat with this man, and he was in every respect utterly different from this man, who had read nothing in any English school, who wasn't even, who didn't even belong to the high society of Calcutta. He was a traditional priest in a temple, but a, 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 a philosopher of genius. A, a book needs to be written about the mind of Ramakrishna, not only the heart. That traditional mind was, was always ahead of Vivekananda's modern mind. It always was. It was always more uh, uh, <clears throat> in, 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 in genius than the traditional mind. Pundits would, would come to him 
and he, he took him down. It, it was very easy for Ramakrishna to, to win any kind of argument. It was very easy. But he did more than win arguments. Oh, that's very important too. He, he won hearts. And so Ramakrishna, Vivekananda, decides to do this radical thing. He stays with, he becomes a disciple of this odd... He, he's not like our time concerning so many people go to, uh, go to odd teachers. He's not like that. It's a very different kind of decision. I, I know from our country we send very doubtful teachers these days. I'm not excusing myself, I did not. <laughs> but it's very different in the 19th century when, when Vivekananda goes to Ramakrishna. He's a very, very odd person. And makes this choice. He says, I'm not going to be the advocate that I wanted to be the lawyer in courts. I want to be, I want to, to, I want to see God. And I will do what this master, but I will first examine him. So he, he spends a lot of time examining Ramakrishna, testing him, testing his mind and his heart. And of course he's being tested, really. It's the other guy. So they establish this, this relationship. And then Ramakrishna dies and he expects Vivekananda to continue that work. And what does Vivekananda do? Say Ramchandra Gandhi, it's all very well about the stages of modern India, Ramakrishna Paramahansa, and we talk about Ramana Maharishi, Gandhi, Aurobindo, Krishnamurti, Tagore. But so what? India is in a terrible way, the world is in a terrible way. What difference have they made to the world? You look, there are cynical moments when this kind of thought arises. What? So what, the world, two wars occurred, Hitler and Stalin occurred, that and Bob occurred, and all kinds of wars still occurred. What have they changed? I was struggling with this question, and I, I, have, a, I have an answer. The answer is this. Imagine a world where these sages had not lived. Imagine our world without them. Now think of that. Imagine a Calcutta, a 19th century India, without a Ramakrishna. There's a terrible set of advertisements in, 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 of, of a newspaper uh, in, in Delhi, which, say, which begins with, with something like, imagine Delhi without the Red Fort, imagine Delhi without the, the Rashtrapati Foundation, imagine Delhi without the Hindustan Times, the newspaper. Sometimes one wants to say, oh, I would love Delhi to be without it. <laughs> but not in that sense. But uh, imagine Calcutta i tell you what would have been the consequence. Today, we take it as a well-established fact, Kathleen, don't we, that there is a common spiritual unity of religious traditions. Without Ramakrishna, we would not have been able to see this. We talk about interfaith prayer. Without Ramakrishna and Gandhi, this would not have been possible. It's fashionable today. It was dangerous in the it was absolutely the first time when people like Ramakrishna and Gandhi were participating in interfaith, were creating forms of interfaith prayer. It was in, in, in the modern period, absolutely, I think, the first time when a spiritual aspirant chose deliberately 
to, to follow the path of different spiritual traditions within Hinduism and advanced if we are able, if some of us today are able to, to begin with the axiom that there is or must be a spiritual unity of the different religious traditions of the world, we owe this thought, this, this, this clarity uh, to Ramakrishna. So if Ramakrishna had not lived, I don't think we would have, uh, oh, we would have been a lot worse. Without this resource, can, can, can you imagine? Supposing we were still in respect of this question of, of religious traditions, if we had still been in the early 19th century, say, thinking of, of, of these religious traditions as irreconcilable. I know there's a deep conflict today between religious traditions, violent conflicts in India and not only in India. But there is also surely a powerful, dissenting, well-informed voice against this conflict. It is well-informed not only sentimentally, but philosophically and spiritually because of Ramakrishna. So without Ramakrishna, it would simply not be possible to, to start the kind of enterprise that Gasoline has That it is to, to, and, and others in the modern world who, who speak in this way, with variations, of course, when we think of the spiritual unity of religious traditions, we're not thinking of some dull kind of uniformity, but of, of the richness of, of a source, of, of a wellspring. And this is established uh, uh, in, in spiritual experience by Ramakrishna and accepted by Vivekananda. And so on. So that is, all right, if Vivekananda hadn't been around, you might say some traditional Indian. <coughs> People might say, well, what's so great about Vivekananda? Ramakrishna is absolutely the greater of the two, as though they were in competition, they were not. But such is the desire to create a distance between uh, sages in, in our times. You know, there's a kind of <coughs> uh, media desire. By media, I don't mean only uh, the print media or the electronic media. The, 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 the media person here was a friend who's sitting here. And I, I myself have come from a tradition of newspapers. But so I deeply respect that, that vocation. But there's a kind of <clears throat> a desire amongst uh, uh, those whose, whose voice um, and, and words are very powerful to create the differences. So there's a move to, in, in some circles to say, oh, Ramakrishna is the genuine article. Vivekananda, of course, is, is, is fraudulent. Uh, and he's a fanatic. He's the source of Hindu fanaticism. Absolute rubbish. Absolute rubbish. But anyway, Vivekananda, if he had not lived, it would suddenly be impossible for people like myself to want to think and to read and write in the English language about the deepest matters of existence in India. It would simply not have gotten us to do that. Vivekananda establishes for us the possibility, if not indeed the desirability, of doing this, and perhaps also, in some sense, uh, uh, duty to speak to, uh, to the world uh, in need of uh, uh, Indian uh, spirituality. So the, that is very important. We'll be all the first lecturers in philosophy in India, spiritual philosophy, all this deep debt of gratitude to, to Vivekananda. And indeed, this is not, not only Vivekananda in respect of this particular point, but Gandhi, Aurobindo, Krishnamurti, Vivekananda are, are Indian sages in, in, in every sense of the word India. 
deeply rooted in, in, in the culture of India, but they, they did their work in the English language. Quite a lot, large part of their work was done through the English language. So, <clears throat> I don't know why they're not even mentioned uh, in, in anthologies of, uh, of English writing. I don't know why. They, they don't even find a mention. Only, um, um, only uh, fiction writers of, uh, of all kinds of, uh, uh, I think, uh, of all kinds find mention. But not these spirits. And may they be mentioned, but sure it wouldn't harm them to, to be, uh, if, if others like Vivekananda, uh, uh, Aurobindo, Gandhi, and uh, Krishnamurti, whose, whose writings run into hundreds of volumes in English. Now, but their English may not be colloquial, but how does it matter, really? It's another kind of English. I think it's, it, it, it communicates itself very well. And I, I, I know some, some, some people don't like some of their uh, <coughs> writings. Uh, but I think the totality of this writing, Kathleen, represents a, a tremendous achievement of the English language in the modern world. And I'm not just being patriotic in insisting that in some anthology, perhaps when Temenos brings out an anthology of spiritual writing in the 20th century or in the modern world, you, you might uh, consider including uh, these, these uh, sages who uh, wrote in the English language and did not very well. So that's another debt. So, 1893. Vivekananda says, sisters and brothers of America. And remember that the Statue of Liberty is a gift of France to, the, to America, which is the then new world. It's a gift of the Trinity, Liberty, Equality and Fraternity. Now we know that what's happened to Liberty and Equality in the modern world, they've taken a big uh, knock, haven't they? But fraternity remains a very important idea. And some people even complain that fraternity is a sexist word. I don't like this kind of slavery to, to, uh, to, to grammatical form. Fraternity uh, is all it means, brothers and sisters, I, I should have thought. And one doesn't have to qualify it by saying, I, I, of course, we are including sisters in this idea of fraternity. <coughs> so Vivekananda inaugurates, without perhaps sufficiently realizing this, I would say the age of fraternity. It's very important. Now, I, I must uh, <coughs> digress slightly. You might say you'll be digressing all the time, so you could go on doing it. But I, I must digress again and, 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 and tell you about a wonderful uh, place of pilg pilgrimage uh, in Urissa, which is called Puri. It's a very great temple there to the Lord of the Universe, Jagannath. Now, the, the deities there are three, and they are siblings. They are Krishna, Balaram, his brother, and their sister, Subhadra. As far as I know, that's the only place of worship where the deities are, are, are siblings. I, I, I would suggest that, that at this age of fraternity, at the end of the century, you, you might consider inaugurating it in a, 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 a major festival of fraternity in Puri, at, at LK, or consider writing about it in your next column for the Times of India. That, 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 uh, LK Sharma, a friend of mine, is sitting here who writes for the Times of India. That fraternity is something which India needs desperately. And in this year of the centenary of Vivekananda, his great Chicago address, we need to, to, to really draw attention to this, both within our country and, and, and across the world, by, by holding a festival of fraternity on the sands of Puri. So Vivekananda today, at this distance of 100 years, reminds at least this a, a philosopher from India of, of the, the obligation uh, to, to create a spiritual foundation for fraternity 
not just a sentimental foundation. Vivekananda does that in, in those words of address in America, but not only in those words of address. He goes on then to say, say something else. He says, I come from a country where we don't merely believe in toleration, but in acceptance. He says that that Indian spirituality accepts the truth of all religions. Now that is the harder thing to do. You might tolerate somebody's religious views, but you might not accept them. Now without acceptance at some deep level, I'm not saying acceptance in all matters of detail, but if you haven't accepted the essential spirit of Islam, I don't think you can be tolerant in relation to it. If if Muslims haven't accepted the essential spirit of Hinduism, I don't think they can be tolerant in relation to Hinduism, and so on, and so on. Acceptance, a way of saying, yes, this is, this is a valid, wonderful path. May I, may I be worthy of, of, of uh, traveling on it? This is what Vivekananda is talking about. So I think he helps us in our troubled times to move beyond uh, toleration to, to acceptance. How does one accept another's faith? By Ramakrishna, he did dramatically. By, by, when he became, when he followed the path of Islam, he, he put, put aside all the pictures of gods and goddesses in his room. He's amazing. He did all these things. But of course, we can't all be Ramakrishnas. But I think it should be possible with, with, with access to books and people that we have in the modern world to discover that the core in each religious tradition which we can accept. The of us can believe that, that, um, that acceptance. Vivekananda asks, uh, uh, the, the whole, uh, asks the modern world to do that. And uh, I think that, that message is greatly needed in India today. And not just uh, toleration but acceptance. And what about secularism? Now that is something Vivekananda talks about too. Vivekananda says, now here I, I cannot entirely agree with the words of Vivekananda. Now, let's not talk with the advantage of hindsight. In 1893 or thereabouts, it, a thought occurred to Vivekananda that there ought to be a deal between India and the West. Their Indian spirituality, I, 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 this is a caricature, this is a caricature of, of affection and not of resentment or of bitterness. He says, we have this the spirituality, this is our great tradition. You have technology and science. You give us science and technology, we'll give you spirituality. Now, now let's not say how, 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 how wrong, how muddle-headed, how, let's not say this with, with the advantage of hindsight. He didn't know what science and technology were going to do to, to the world. He didn't know that. But this is a noble thought. Alas, I don't think it's very well grounded in, in, uh, in inquiry or in experience. I don't think there can be this kind of bargain. Everybody has spiritual traditions, and everybody is capable of, of the abuse of science and technology. Everybody, everywhere. And I think India, in, in its ecological irresponsibility, is, is as bad as any other country in, in respect of what science and technology, uh, the harm that they can do. And I'm sure there are spiritual traditions everywhere. And yet there must be there must be a truth in that statement. And I'd like to, to, to uh, 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 salvage that truth. I think what it means is that India must not abandon uh, her spiritual traditions. 
the questions of science and technology are questions that we must debate in, in great detail. We mustn't be idolatrous in relation to science and technology. True. But the spiritual traditions of India, if India were to abandon those, she is lost. Completely lost. I think this is possible. And I think we, we like Kathleen has often said that, that if India were to, were to ignore or to, or to deny um, her spiritual traditions, then she will, she will um, cease to be the, the, the India that <coughs> she cares for and, and the India that makes her worthy of care and respect. I think Vivekananda understood this, but he was really this, this young monk was troubled. He, 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 he travelled all over the country and saw the misery, the poverty, the superstition, the, the neglect, and his heart bled, and he wanted to shake his heart. He wanted, he wanted the power of science and technology to be made instantly available to the starving mass. I think it took the majority of a Gandhi to see that this was not so easy. You had really to first uh, create conditions for, uh, for dignity. You can't be you, you, uh, an unfree nation, a, a nation under the rule of another race. It cannot be but hungry in every sense. So it was very important to set India free in the right way, in the spiritual way, and to question the, the, the advertisements of, of science and technology and development and economics and so on. And I mean, this, I think, to the point of exaggeration sometimes. But it was necessary to liberate India from the idea that she only had to copy some blueprint of progress and everything would be all right. First things first, you have to be free first. India has to be a free land, a land of free people, if she is to give anything. And India's fight against uh, British imperialism is really a fight against a kind of racism which was implicit in British imperialism. Uh, I'm sorry, I have to remind you of that. And I really think that the fight against Hitler's racism which was fought by Britain so heroically later on, was really this, this battle was, uh, came uh, later, uh, Dante's battle against racism implicit in British imperialism preceded it. And no doubt, I think, think of it. Imagine a world without Gandhi. Okay, this is a hypothesis of, of mine. Imagine a world without Gandhi. If there hadn't been this, this kind of fight against, against the racism implicit in British colonial rule. I doubt very much Britain would have summoned the energy which was necessary to fight Hitler. I doubt it. This is a theory. Somewhere, I think the conscience of Britain was stirred. The weak that Hitler is wrong. The, 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 the realization that Hitler is terribly wrong. Surely Britain was assisted in this process by, by Gandhi's uh, fight against the racism. This is very important, I think, to keep in mind. It's amazing that Gandhi and Churchill never met these two, two great heroes of, of the fight against racism uh, of different kinds. But, uh, but it is those who honor uh, these, uh, these two heroes. I think that we, we might all of us think of, uh, of, of this common heritage and the need to go beyond it, really. So, uh, I don't know what... Uh, <coughs> <coughs> the world um, could have done without um, without these saints of modern India. And um, Vivekananda, as it were, gives modern Indians who, uh, who are and were educated in the modern style, he gives all of us the confidence that we can always stop and ask the deepest questions of existence and not be carried away by the enthusiasms 
of modernity or the prejudices of tradition. We can question, we can inquire, we, we can remain uh, ourselves and remain useful to the world. I think it's a tremendous service. What we do, I think we take these things for granted. Gandhi actually uh, went to Dakshineshwar uh, uh, after Ramakrishna's death to, in the hope of meeting the Vekaranda. This was the late uh, 19th century, I think. So it's the hegemony of the modern world in India. If the two had met, something quite astounding might have occurred. But I cannot imagine a Gandhi without a Vivekananda. The fact that he goes to, during the, the formative years of his life, he goes to Dakshinishwar with his desire to talk to Vivekananda and Ramakrishna. There would not have been a Gandhi without Ramakrishna. <coughs> I don't doubt it very much. And of course, Aurobindo, again, Ramakrishna sets himself. They, they are a sort of cricket team, really, the opening batsman, Ramakrishna, Paramahamsa, and Ramanama. Keith was telling me that he, I, I noticed in the, in the papers today or yesterday, that you've inducted some very dangerous new, new persons in your cricket team. And I'm sure you'll do a lot better next time you visit him. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think our cricket team, really, our essential cricket team, is not the one which sometimes wins these awful things called one day matches. <laughs> But I think it's, it's this one-century <coughs> game that we are, the, feed, the team we really have not yet fielded is the team with Ramakrishna, Ramana Maharishi, Vivekananda, Gandhi, and others. And they, they are the, the real cricket team, I think. So without Vivekananda, I don't think you, you have that, that middle-order super batsman, I think. Yeah, Vivekananda, I would say Ramakrishna. And Ramana Maharshi, I don't want to talk too much today, because he's my guru. I'll talk, talk, talk about him in greater detail. Yeah. All right, so the second proposition, brothers and sisters of America, this tremendous prophetic idea of fraternity and its deep connection with monasticism, humbling thought for the modern world with its, with its cynical attitude towards renunciation, celibacy, and monasticism, that it, that it is simply not possible for the modern world to invoke the idea of fraternity without re-establishing some... some at some level of, of seriousness, traditions of renunciation. And fraternity is greatly needed, and, and this is impossible without the help of tradition. <clears throat> so Vivekananda does this important service. And then acceptance of faith. And then really, in his question, to, uh, when he asks Ramakrishna, have you seen God? And Ramakrishna says, yes. I think he does completely. He, he questions uh, 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 science at the deepest level. Science has claimed that there is there is no um, uh, no uh, no god, or there are no gods or goddesses, or that there are no spiritual dimensions to existence. This is active. Ramakrishna is not only battling uh, uh, the the hard-heartedness of tradition, the, uh, the, 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 the <clears throat> but he's also battling the 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 the, the alleged rationality of the one. He said, he, what is he saying? Notice, he said, I can see him. He, he's not saying I can imagine him. Or I, can, I can see God. I think that, that's very important. He says that we see God. More clearly than we see, uh, see material objects. I think that's a challenge. Ramakrishna establishes this challenge. He throws this challenge. Very kind of picks it up. I don't think he follows it. He dies very young. Gandhi has thoughts about it. But I think it is Ramana Maharishi who really challenges 
the, uh, uh, the, uh, the dominance in the cognitive realm of science. When he says there is only the self, there is not even the world without the self. The alleged subject matter of modern science is the world. Now you could quarrel with modern science, you could say, oh, that's not the only way of understanding the world. And that's a very important quarrel. The traditional, the modes of understanding the world are, 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 are there. And I don't think science compares very favorably with some of these traditions. <clears throat> but here is an even more radical critique. Ramakrishna, when he says, I can see God, he, he is talking about uh, seeing in some way. But Ramana Maharshi says, without the self, without the Atman, without the illumination of self-consciousness, there is no world, there is nothing. So what is it that you claim to understand? Let me add a footnote, a philosopher's footnote to the sage Ramana Maharshi. I imagine it's a principle of science that observation is essential. It would follow from this that we must observe that which is closer with greater care than that which is further away. The self is the closest, but science never observes the self. has no interest, no desire. Science has no interest in the scientist at all. You have a body of knowledge which has no interest in the thinker. I think it's the only system of knowledge that the world has produced which has absolutely no interest, no cognitive, serious interest in its own thinkers. I think that's a fallacy. It is Ramana Maharshi with his uncluttered, unembarrassed insistence that you alone are. It doesn't mean by you that form, this form. He means the self, that, that indubitable reality that you know you are. And he said, everything else depends on this. Rather in the way in which Christ says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else. Rather in that way. But science never first seeks the scientists. <laughs> and I don't know what else it does. So I think that there are radical critiques implicit in this whole tradition of species. So back to Vivekananda. Catholic Diamond, old school master, so you'll have to stop me when you when you uh, uh, think uh, <laughs> Vivekananda, I think, made a mistake when he thought that India could make this kind of deal. And he was a lion-hearted person. He, I think he would have accepted this as an error. This, uh, let me tell you a few things about the personality of this remarkable man, Vivekananda, who really is, is our ancestor together in India. For, for Indian thinkers today, I think. He had in his heart a great, great resentment against Islamic invaders who had come to India, destroyed temples, images, and so on. And the story I'm about to tell you is of great relevance to and the world. Towards the end of his life, he was in Kashmir. Not the troubled Kashmir today, but a more tranquil Kashmir. Where ancient traditions still exist. The tradition of, of, 
of Buddhism, of Shaivism, even before that, is now taught. And there's a very great temple of the Divine Mother, Kali. Vivekananda writes about this. He, in Kshira Bhavani, he visits this temple. And he pours out his anguish. He says to the Divine Mother, why did you permit this? Why did you permit the invader to come and break your own images and to destroy your own temple? Why, Mother, why did you do this? And he records that he heard an answer to this question. The Divine Mother whispered an answer to this question in his own heart. She said, Vivekananda, what is it to you if the invader has done this? Do you protect me or do I protect you? I don't have the authority to say brothers and sisters to you, but dear friends, that answer goes to the heart of all that is wrong and all that we need to put that wrong right in India. The wrongs of history we worry about, but the blessings of history we forget. Despite the, the humiliations that, say, Hinduism may have suffered uh, under Islamic tyrants, the fact remains that the truth of image worship survives all over India. In fact, it has been deepened, clarified, redefined, redescribed, so that Ramakrishna is able to talk about it with authority, is able to convert a skeptical modern Vivekananda to acceptance of image worship also. So here's a Vivekananda who is an abstract philosopher who, 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 can, who, can, who can criticize uh, uh, all, all limited conceptions, who's also a passionate devotee of the Divine Mother, like his master. Ramakrishna was, was on very intimate terms with the Divine Mother. And he... Uh, <clears throat> Was dying of cancer of the throat. That's how he died. A very modern way to die. And because he used to smoke a clay pipe, and in those days these clay, clay pipes didn't carry the message that it's dangerous to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> so he smoked this clay pipe and, and uh, developed cancer of the throat and was dying. He wasn't able to drink a drop of water. And he was in very great agony. And Vivekananda and others were, were sitting there. And there was a rebellious spirit in Vivekananda. There was called Narain in those days. Narain and others, somewhat tauntingly said to Ramakrishna, Master, in the kind of way in which I think Jesus was sometimes addressed by his own disciples, uh, they were devil's advocates, aren't they? I think they really are. They were trying. So they said, Master, well, you were on such close terms with the Divine Lord. Why did you ask her to, to heal your throat? He said, what, what absurdity. I'd never ask her for anything like that. It's her will. No, no, but, but surely you, you, you ask us to pray to her and to talk to her. Why, why don't you have a heart-to-heart -heart chat with her about cancer of the throat? Why don't you persuade her? Do you think she might? He said, yeah, yeah, yes, of course. Of course you will. So, all right. so he went into uh, ecstasy, spiritual and no doubt had a very long conversation with, with the Divine Mother. And he emerged from this conversation, and Vivekananda and others said, well, what did she say? What did she say? She was, she was very solicitous. She said, but, 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 but Ramakrishna, why are you worried about this one diseased throat? You can drink water from all the hundreds of millions of healthy throats everywhere. They are your throats too. Very, very Now that's Ramakrishna. 
And Vivekananda is converted to this way of looking at things. And he's liberated from all kinds of narrowness. But not from every imperfection, of course not. He, he remains my, 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 my most favorite imperfect sage. Thank you. To respond to responses. Dr. Nani, could you say a few words on the impulse given by the Theosophical tradition on the tremendous uh, spiritual heritage of India? Because obviously that came at a crucial time in 1893 and 1891. The Sikh doctrine was written, the voice of the silence, there was a tremendous uh, deepening of, uh, of the spiritual tradition and a removing of the sort of incrustations. Would you like to comment on that? Oh, absolutely. A, a few words. You don't mind if I speak sitting down? Uh, uh, I think uh, there is an important difference. I think all, all, all manner of good things have to be said about the Theosophical Society and its disappointment. And yet there remains this difference between Ramakrishna and, and the Theosophical. That Ramakrishna actually is a spiritual practitioner of all these parts in a dramatic way. He's not only at the intellectual, which is very important at the theosophically nourished intellectual, that's very important, but at the practical risk, level of risk of sadhana. I cannot imagine, uh, with no disrespect intended, an Annie Besson actually following some of the practices that Ramakrishna did. Or um, or others of that tradition. But indeed, w w without that, that, that work of the Theosophical Society, there wouldn't have been the kind of very important confirmation of what was more intuitive and experientially and That's very important too. I don't deny that. And yet, if Ramakrishna and Vivekananda had lived, the Theosophical Society would still have been around. But I doubt it would have had the credibility that it does. Because people would say, oh, that's another theory. But that theory, in important respects, was was confirmed and verified in different terms by Ramakrishna and Ramana So that is my general response to the connection between the Theosophical Society, which was, well, one of its aims is to bring the tradition, but he does not claim that this has been done on the basis of, of a wide and specific range of experiments. There is, of course, illumination in, in, in the last, of course there is, but it is not specifically addressed to, to all the traditions of the world. It, it remains, I think, a, a very distinctive, and, and, and Buddhist in its, uh, in its essential inspiration, is wonderful. But there is not to, to that 
Yes, that these dates are important, 1893, the same sort of time. But something is established, an important work is accomplished by Ramakrishna, and that makes many other things possible, such as the Theosophical Society. And that would be the, the general line of, but thank you for raising this question. I think the Theosophical Society deserves richly to be, not to be mentioned, but celebrated. This is work, yeah. They were, there was a quarrel between them and Vivekananda. Now this is, this is journalism. I'm a journalist too. There was. And they, they, Vivekananda felt they, they really tried to put him down, to use the modern expression, frequently. This upstart monk. But it's amazing how little the Theosophical Society talks about Ramakrishna even today. Thank you for raising it. But the one way would be, I'm thinking of Christianity now, of discovering the teacher that Jesus is. Indian spirituality may enable modern Christianity to discover Christ as the Guru. And others. In, in, in other traditions, as, as gurus, teacher. God, Ramana Maharshi says, my teacher is guru, is self, is the world. If the scientists could see the world as guru, and not as, uh, not even a pupil, but something to be manipulated, and something, the last secret of which is to be extracted, I think. You don't do that for a guru. You, you wait on a guru, and, and, and the guru teaches you what is relevant. I think if if Indian spirituality can can assist modern Christianity in, in, in seeing seeing the, the, the guru in Christ and, and, and in, in the guru in, in nature, the teacher in nature, if the idea of, of the guru, I remember asking an American student. 
how did he address his Indian guru first? He said, I said, G-U-R-U, guru. <laughs> that, 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 that may be, <laughs> that may be, may be funny, it, it is. But I think he had found uh, somebody he could address as the you, the Tao, this great tradition. And uh, of speaking, and of, of seeing uh, that which speaks to us as, as, as God, as Guru. As so I think in this way, and not only, I mean, they, they don't have a passport, these, these teachers, they're, they're teachers, they're, 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 uh, anyone can, can uh, seek them, I'm sure. But then what is it that, that they teach? They teach that they are, that, they, that all of us are potential teachers. All of us are. And the self within us is the, is the Guru. It manifests as the external Guru. But it really is within us. Everywhere. And what this means is simply a, a greater a greater freedom and a greater responsibility also. It's not a permissiveness that they teach it's, it's, it's a freedom that they teach and a responsibility. If I'm also the self, then I, I, I must really see to become a guru also. Not just find a guru. There's a hunger to, to find a guru in the world, teacher. But I think the responsibility of becoming a guru also be quite great. If the self, if, if the secret source within each one of us is guru, is guru, then I, it's as much my responsibility as anybody else to manifest this. So I think there's a pressure, there's an urgency, which, uh, which might be a corrective to what I call the, the guru shopping that goes on. It does really. I don't want people to go from one guru to another, but people go from one analyst to another. Now, why don't we also seek to, to, to be the guru? Uh, I don't know if I really touched your question. I, I detected there a real anxiety. I can hear it. Has come to us as teachings of teachers, but why not? I think all, all spiritual traditions have come down to us as that. But perhaps the, the notion of a teacher, even more than the notion of a teaching, and here it is really the notion of the self, which is not a word which the English language has yet discovered the potential of, I think, in, in, in England or in America, where the word itself still has the as it has a bad image, I think, in the English language. It means there go, or it means something that you must die to. Now, it is indeed sometimes there but that is not all that there is to it. There go is a caricature of the And the way in which I rather think that the universe of the scientists is a caricature of God, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, uh, the, uh, the nothingness of the nihilists is a caricature of the nihil of the junior. So, uh, I would say let's hold Indian spirituality to its uh, teaching uh, regarding the teacher and its development. It's, it's applied in, in diverse ways. But I think it might be, it might be politically, I mean, it might, to begin to think of the world as a whole as a goal. That would unite people, I think. Uh, on 
catastrophe. Because if there is truth in this in the teaching, then the world is good and not self-manipulated. Not material to be manipulated. Something to be wasted upon. And we think you need to talk about this without a sense of geographical proprietorship. And here I think uh, uh, a sage whom I have not mentioned, Tagore, can be of great help. We really must sing about these things too, and not just preach about these things. Tagore, the poetry, the painting, is another dimension of India's teaching, but but no, I don't know how to do that. I wonder if you could, uh, Dr. Gandhi, I wonder if you could actually um, say something about the direction that these teachers, Ramakrishna, Vivekananda, talk. Were they more concerned with laying the foundation of a teaching, or were they more concerned with responding to the need as they saw it at that time? Was the sense of establishing a way of thought you've spoken of transcendent thought as opposed to a revolutionary thinking. Was that where the attention was, or was it in fact to meet what they saw to be the immediate need of their time? What an interesting question. I think the, the greatest among them is not was remarkably free of anxiety about conditions. They had amazing, very caring. But they felt that if really they believed that they did, that, that through self-realization, all that's needed will follow. Their concern was really to, to see God. And they were absolutely confident that a good thing would follow. And indeed they did. If Ramakrishna had established hospitals and schools, he would have been a disaster as a manager of these things. <laughs> Absolute disaster would it be. He, he, he was very fond of the city. So he, his, some of his devotees, uh, I'm still responding to your question, some of his devotees said, we must take the master to the Calcutta Zoo. Tell what places zoos are. But Ramakrishna was a childlike Yes, is there a lion? Yes, the lion is the, is the vehicle is the, is the, is the, um, of, of, of the divine mother, the divine mother rides on the lion. So wants to go. So they took him in a carriage to the Kakata Zoo, and he found the lion in a cage, and he went into ecstasy that he had to be brought back home. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, you know, the world is a zoo where you, you cage things and traditions or whatever, you look up, you make things, you convert. He would have been a disaster. He, 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 he suits him out of that. Then he talked a deeper truth. Other which, uh, other things, including care for animals and hospitals, all of that would follow. And he, he told a remarkable story. He said to somebody who was not over enthusiastic about establishing schools and hospitals, clearly they need to be established, don't get them wrong. Don't say, well, here's another Indian teacher, totally without letting them back. No. I want to learn from Ramakrishna on this. He said to somebody, in God of the Pierce, in my right hand you have me. In my left hand you have all the hospitals you want. What would you want? <laughs> if, you, if you want God, you will have both his hands. You will have all the gifts that he has to give you. They, they're never tired of saying this. Never tired of saying this. And even Gandhi. It was the end of life. He said, don't exaggerate the importance of my political work. It is nothing compared to my spiritual 
If they haven't had this clear sense of priority, means the priority not of what is more important than and what is not, but what comes first, or it must be the foundation. The foundation is not in competition with the superstructure, it is the necessary condition. So I think this is uh, the important thing to remember. It is a corrective to, uh, to, to, to kinds of uh, 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 social planning which uh, uh, leave the spirit untouched totally, which is really kinds of charity which are manipulation in there. But wait a minute, I think you still need a Gandhi to say, yes, but where do we go from here? And who, who, who wait on God for, for guidance about how to apply this. I think we need that too. So we can't stop there. We need the Vivekananda's anger about the, 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 the way India treats uh, Indians. And you need Gandhi's patient, more patient, a search for, for uh, actual, actually uh, appropriate, sustainable ways of treating them. And we need both. I think we need both, but I, I, I don't want to forget the teaching about the foundation. But I think it's a very important question. Paul Brunton was one of the other great uh, messengers of uh, Indian spirituality to the West. I mean, uh, he was also a great, great people of the Did you ever meet him or? No, alas, I did not. No, no. And I've read his works, and I, I think uh, <clears throat> he did, did, did great service, I think, in, in writing about Ramana Maharshi. But Ramana Maharshi becomes uh, available to to people who have not read Brunton's in a mysterious business. Oh, Osborne, but he, he, I haven't read any of these books, but I, I, I've never met Ramana Maharshi in the flesh. But when I needed him, I found him. But of course, Paul Brunton is an Arthur Osborne. Arthur Osborne is an English disciple of Ramana Maharshi. I don't want to tell a story because you might think I was trying to sell my masters. The last thing I will do is I will think about it and I might tell it to you next time. There more questions? One more? It's a sort of offshoot off question. Um, I heard you mention that um, nihilism is a sort of parody of a sonata, sonata emptiness. Yes. How does this idea relate to uh, the self and Atman and uh, the kind of... Oh, I think the ego, the much advertised, much... Um, is, is the caricature of the self. No, yes, I realise that, but there's a notion of sonata. Oh, yes. What you really, what yes. speaks about the self and... Uh, I, I think I myself think that the two are the are, are the same reality. Yes. Because the self is not a thing among other things. It's a not thing. It's a, it's a not thing in the same way that same emptiness, emptiness is a personal thing. This is it. Yes. I think. It's, a, it's a different tradition. It's a different tradition. Yes. So I think Ramana Maharshi is a great um, really he makes Buddhism intelligible to us. Yes. So emptiness is emptiness. a quality of self. Emptiness and self. There's great quarrel in antiquity between Buddhism and Hinduism. Is the ignorant quarrel between emptiness and self. 
And it takes Ramana Maharishi to put an end to yes. this quarrel. Because many uh, commentators are, they, they quarrel with this idea of the self. They think it, it, it's like a something solid and yes. separate. Yes. As again, something is purely openness as consciousness yes. itself. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. I'm so glad to hear this thought. It's, 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 and when, I, when I thought this thought, I felt very happy. I'm very glad you've, you've had the same conviction that the self and Trinita are one. Well, I would hope they are, yes. <laughs> I, I, I have no doubt, yes, because yes. one has the authority yes. of Ramana Maharishi, yes. and not only the authority of one's own thinking. That's important, too. But I'm just going to say, strange enough, my husband was reading some of Ramana to me this morning. Yes. A whole prayer, yes. Wonderful. But this is, there's no time for this, but this, this quarrel in antiquity is probably the most costly uh, errors in, in, in the spiritual history of humanity. Well, I think uh, you've given so much tonight. I think we should better go beginning again next week. Of course, I just read your book, Cedar's Kitchen, which is the most remarkable book, and it takes this absolute question the difference between the nihil of the modern nihilist and the, the uh, emptiness of the mystic, and particularly in, in relation to the teaching of Lord Buddha. Yeah. And it is a most remarkable book because it is the central issue. Mm-hmm. And curiously enough, I was translating for Brian a passage from Henri Corbin's um, um, Paradox of Monotheism, which Again, focuses on that. This this is the great question. Whereas so many people say there is nothing, we are less than dust. How do we come? I'm sure you continue to teach us from the nothing which is from which nothing comes, and the nothing from which everything comes. Asi, asi, asi. And, and how is that transition made? And, and this, I think, is, is the, great, the great secret of the modern world of mine. We need you so much. Not only you personally, but India, but, but you also. I know what you mean. We need to think all these questions yeah. through very yes. carefully. And very profound and central question for us in the West. Well, thank you. And I'm glad this is only the first. Thank <laughs> you.